Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Slow Burn Media and Phil Huffman present Who Killed? A podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Continues out here in Perrysburg. We're very close to Perrysburg Heights. That is uh, where Jose Rodriguez lived. We're just uh, really just across the field, not very far at all. Federal uh, searchers from the DEA, the FBI, also Toledo Police, Perrysburg, a lot of different agencies involved in this search, which is in this field behind me. There's still some activity. Night is starting to fall, so it is assumed and we're told they'll probably knock off for the evening but get started again early tomorrow morning as they continue looking for the remains of Cynthia Anderson at this location. Jerry? Lou, do we know if they have found anything whatsoever in their search so far? What we have been told is that they did have some evidence that was found near this pond that is out here, a small lake. Now, they have stopped diving in the lake itself and have seemed to be concentrating their search efforts, from what we can see, with a bulldozer in a, in a wooded area near the pond. Exactly what they found, we don't know. All right, Lou Bear with a live report from Parrysburg. Lou. Hello and welcome to episode 106 of Who Killed? I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media production. Thank you guys for tuning in to this week's brand new episode. And on this week's show, I want to take you back to August 4th, 1981, when a young secretary named Cynthia Cindy Anderson disappeared from Toledo, Ohio. Now, with a population of about 350,000 at the time, Toledo sits next to the Maumee River, which disperses into Lake Erie. And... In the 1980s, it was kind of a little bit of a shady area. And Miss Anderson was last seen on Manhattan Boulevard near the law office where she actually worked. And Cynthia was only 20 years old when she vanished. And one of the worst things to happen to a family is obviously to lose a child. But it makes it all the more worse when they're never able to find a body or really any idea of what really happened. I mean, the family is left to live on in perpetuity, not knowing where or what happened to their loved one. Unfortunately for the family of Cynthia Anderson, they have been left to wonder what happened to Cindy on that hot August day. Now, according to the Toledo Blade, Cindy Anderson was usually the first one to show up to the office, but on this day, when her co-workers arrived, she was actually nowhere to be found. And when attorney James Rabbit went to work that morning, he actually found the office empty. Now, Miss Anderson's car was parked outside, but her purse and her keys were gone. She didn't leave a note on the door, which was her usual practice. And the book she was reading 
a romance novel. Now, this is peculiar because it was left open to a, I guess you could say, a violent abduction of the main character. Now, of course, this is according to reports, but according to one of the bosses, Mr. Rabbit, he had told the Blade in 2001, right away you knew something was wrong and you knew she wasn't coming back. Now, that's pretty ominous in my opinion. Now, cops that were on patrol at the time were given photos and they were kept in their cruisers basically the whole time. And the Blade says, quote, Miss Anderson disappeared during a particularly violent time in the city. Well, let's be honest, it was really a bad year across the country. Uh, Americans were dealing with large-scale unemployment and major cities around the U.S. set homicide records in the year 1981. So we can assume police were pretty busy investigating a number of other homicides. And in fact, there were actually a couple brothers that were serial killers who were committing crimes in Toledo and were convicted of at least nine rapes and murders between the years 1973 and 1981. And now, according to reports, their guilt was established in the late 1990s, thanks to DNA profiling, after which both of the brothers were convicted and eventually sentenced to prison. Although Nathaniel Cook, now this is great, was released on parole back in 2019. They go on to say the case didn't go unnoticed. But according to a Blade article from June 1982, less than a year after her disappearance, they had a case file with information that was so thick it takes two hands to pick up. And now, Miss Anderson, she drove a 1980 Chevrolet Citation. And the Blade states on that day she went missing, she wore a white V-neck dress with red piping, open-toe sandals, a sapphire ring, a gold watch, and carried a brown purse. Now, she only had 10 days left at the office before she was about to start college classes. And people reported to police that they saw Miss Anderson as late as 9.45 a.m., but people calling the law office told attorneys they tried calling without response about 10 a.m. Now, one of the scariest aspects of this case is Cynthia was apparently having dreams well, I wouldn't call them dreams. I would say they were most likely nightmares, considering they were about being attacked or abducted. And this is one of the many aspects of this case that made it appeal to every true crime fan's favorite show growing up, Unsolved Mysteries. Now, in the episode, they discuss the mysterious dreams and question whether they had anything to do with her disappearance. Now, during the episode, they speak with Cynthia's sister, Christine, about the dreams, and I'm going to quote directly from the episode now. Quote, One morning, while I was getting ready for work, I overheard Cindy talking to my mother. I do believe that the dreams could have been a premonition of fears that Cindy actually had in her subconscious at the time. Now, during the episode, they also talk about how Miss Anderson's family was considered to be Christian fundamentalists and had a strict childhood. Apparently, she also spent most of her time within the confines of her fellow Christian friends. Fortunately, uh, the police did not wait long before they began treating this as a disappearance and not 
so much as someone who just walked away from their life. Although Cindy's car keys and purse were missing, that wasn't enough for them to say that she left on her own. Now, Toledo Police Detective William Adams actually said there were no signs of a struggle. Quote, her car was parked in front of the law office. Her bank account, which had a nice substantial amount of money, was never touched. Her social security number has never shown up any other workplace. It's a complete mystery how and why Cindy disappeared. Now, Mr. Rabbit told the Blade in 2000, again, you knew this was bad, and you knew something was wrong right away. And Jay Feldstein, a Toledo labor lawyer, was actually an associate at the firm when Miss Anderson went missing. And on that day that she was discovered disappeared, Mr. Feldstein had spent the morning in court with Mr. Anderson and one of his sons. So the search for Cindy Anderson entailed basically the usual public plea for help, uh, volunteer search parties, and, you know, they detailed all of the things that Cindy was known for. And as you read about this case, you come across a few different theories. Apparently, just one month after her disappearance, police apparently got an anonymous call claiming that Cynthia was being held against her will. Now, the caller was female and stated that there were two white houses side by side owned by the same family. Now, the family was out of town, but their son was home, and he had imprisoned the missing girl in the basement. Now, as most things that sound too good to be true, this was, and of course it was a bogus lead. So, on one of the message boards, there was another theory about Cynthia and her disappearance, and it the one that I've seen the most often, other than the dreams, was about the book being open to that scene about an abduction. And this has led people to suggest that Cynthia may have staged her own disappearance. Though she did leave a substantial amount of money untouched in her bank account. So that leaves a little bit of a question to be answered there. And if the harassing calls that she received were real, there may have been someone that she was eager to run away from. And since the office door was locked and there was no sign of a struggle, people speculated that she had boarded a bus and started a new life. And I know that sounds fantastical, but I mean, in the 70s and early 80s, it was a lot easier to do than it is today. Now, her employers discovered that the radios were turned on at their desks and they were prepared for the day when they did arrive at work. But there was unclaimed mail that had been placed inside the front door. And again, there was no sign of her anywhere in the building. Now, some of the things people find to be of interest is her father's quote in the episode of Unsolved Mysteries I mentioned earlier, where he describes Cindy as being, quote-unquote, obedient. In another statement, he said his daughter had been acting a bit like a debutante. A little bit of a interesting way to describe his daughter. Now, once again, quoting from Unsolved Mysteries, Cindy's dad said that he noticed a change in his daughter's behavior. Quote, Just before she disappeared, however, she was becoming like a debutante. She was spending a lot of time on her face and herself, 
and she'd skipped breakfast for this reason, and that may be part of the problem, unquote. Now, in another part of the Unsolved Mysteries episode, Larry Mullins, who was a client of the law office where Cindy worked, told the show, quote, The day before Cynthia Anderson disappeared, I was actually in the office to pay off a legal fee. And she got a phone call, and she kind of reacted like maybe it was obscene or something and hung up real quick. And a look on her face, still, I can picture it today. She was scared. She was honestly and sincerely scared. It gives me shivers to think of the look on her face. I went home and I called the police department and asked them to do a drive-by and check on her. Something scared the hell out of her, in my opinion. Unquote. Now, Mark Hoover, who is a journalist for the Claremont Sun and a variety of others, wrote, quote, Authorities also monitored her banking information. Cynthia appeared to be a thrifty young lady who had never who had saved actually all her money. And she never accessed her money or used her social security number after disappearing. Also, a week after Cynthia disappeared, Toledo police, again, like I mentioned before, they received that anonymous call about, you know, someone claiming that Cynthia had been abducted and she was being kept in the basement. Uh, Again, this was a bogus lead. Now, one theory that stands out amongst all the others is one that involves an attorney named Richard Neller, who actually worked in the law office. Now, Neller and a client named Jose Rodriguez Jr. were both charged with drug-related crimes and sent to prison. Now, the American Bar Association also disbarred Neller. Now, Hoover goes on to ask, did Adams know something about Neller's illegal drug activity? If so, did it lead to her disappearance? He goes on to state this theory is the most popular among true crime aficionados. Now, here's the most likely reason it has taken hold. Nine local people were indicted on drug trafficking charges, one including Richard Neller, and again, he was an attorney that worked with Cindy. Now, he later went on to prison along with drug dealer Jose Rodriguez, And again, this fueled the speculation that Cynthia may have overheard incriminating information and an informant claimed that Rodriguez actually confessed to the murder, but again, this testimony was ruled unreliable. And unfortunately, no other evidence connects them. Unfortunately, Mr. Anderson died in January 2008, and he never knew what happened to his daughter, But he never gave up hope, and he was actually still living at the home Miss Anderson grew up in, in Toledo, on 3030 Springbrook Drive. And he actually told the Toledo Blade that he never changed his phone number, because what if if she was trying to get back home? If he left, she would never find her family. So here we are, 40 years on, and there isn't any sign of Cynthia Anderson. So let's check the facts before we move on to part two of this episode. There's no body, no suspects, no motive, no foul play, no crime scene to work from. Again, this was a young woman who was just about to enter Bible college and had a loving boyfriend. So her disappearance leaves a lot of questions left unanswered. 
So I'm going to bring in Naptime Nancy Drew, host of the Naptime Nancy podcast and freelance journalist. She knows a bit about this case and wrote an article about it for the Philosophy of Crime website, and that's at philosophycrime.com, which it also just so happens to be friend of shows, James Renner's website. If you have any information about Cynthia Anderson's disappearance, please contact the Toledo Police Department at 419-245-3340. Now let's jump into my conversation with Naptime Nancy about the disappearance of one Cynthia Anderson from August 4th, 1981 in Toledo, Ohio. This week, I am very lucky to be joined with by Naptime Nancy Drew, as she is known amongst the podcast world. And we're here to discuss the really mysterious case of Cynthia Cindy Anderson from Toledo, Ohio. How are you doing today? I am good. How are you doing, Bill? I am fantastic. It is a little bit spring-like here in Cleveland, so I am enjoying wearing shorts and uh, all that good stuff. So it's uh, it's not a bad day here. <laughs> Same. It's like it might get up to 50 degrees here. And, mm. you know, that is where you, you people break out the SPF and the shorts in Oregon. We're like, yes, yeah, summer. <laughs> yeah. 660 is definitely a, a, a real pleasantry at this uh, at this point in time, because you know, yeah. this winter, I think we, I think we went the longest we've ever gone with sub 30 or sub freezing temperatures. So for Cleveland, that's kind of wild, but we didn't have a crazy yeah. snow season. So it was good in that regard. That's good. Yeah. We just had one ice storm that they said was going to be um, the polar vortex. And oh yeah. The vortex is like, never quite hit. Show up with the snow. it was just a little bit. Well, we got like eight inches, but I was just very disappointed that it was mostly iced over. So yeah. Well, we can't always get the uh, powder days that we all. That's true. <laughs> for, but uh, it would have been more. It would have been more bittersweet, like if I hadn't been able to like go up skiing, which I haven't skied in years. So <laughs> <laughs> this, there's that. Touche. So that is uh, that is interesting. And again, you are not here in Ohio. You are actually in Oregon. So I, yeah. Uh, yeah, just a little outside of Portland, like closer to Mount Hood. And now with this case, the the reason why that we are talking and we've talked before and obviously we've had great conversations. And the interesting thing is that I came across an article that you had actually written for Philosophy of Crime, which is James Runner's or he started, you know, it's James Runner's website, whatever. And you had done an article on the disappearance of Cindy Anderson and how did you get involved with her case because I described it a little bit before I jumped into our conversation but how did you get involved with Cindy's case so um I actually I spend a lot of time on Namus. like that's how I party that's my Friday or Saturday night trying to like find missing persons and match them up to 
unidentified persons, if you will. And um, I don't do that all the time, but you know, basically I'm, I'm party hard. Um, <laughs> I, sorry, that's a bad joke for a minute. Um, but I found her case like just through going through and like trying to um, find different missing persons cases from different states. And I wound up, I think I was searching for the parameters of an unidentified woman from around that time and stumbled upon her case. And it's just very fascinating that, I don't know, there's so many different potential suspects, but also, I don't know, I just feel so bad for her. She was just about to like start her whole life. And it seems like, I don't think she ran away. I I think she was taken. So I don't, I, I don't think she is likely alive. Cause again, I mean, unless she was abducted and, and held somewhere, but I was just going to say, it seems, it seems unlikely. I mean, it was 1981, you know, yeah. August of 1981 when she just disappeared. So, I mean, she would have, she was 20 at the time. So that would put her 60 ish. And, yeah. you know, you've seen cases where kids who have been abducted can get brainwashed into thinking they're, you know, that's their parent or whatever like that because they're so young. But in a case like this, where, she goes to work her co-workers come in after being in court and she's nowhere to be found it's a little wild you know yeah yeah um especially like uh they had the book she was reading which i need to figure out what the title was again i can't remember but it was open to like a passage about um, I thought that was like really interesting it reminded me of um Elaine Lettinen's disappearance not that they're connected in any way um just that she had like the court martial page open when Elaine disappeared of, from Napa in 1976 so it's like you know it's I wonder how many people who felt they were in danger actually had like little things left out on purpose just in case you know um to kind of tell people to look for them like I didn't run away um so I don't know I just kind of I I don't think she ran away at all yeah the 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 she was reading a romance novel I don't remember what the novel was but it was open to a, a part of the book where there was an abduction and something along those lines so that's just one of those really odd i don't know coincidences or what but definitely something that stood out to me because you know all these people who because here's a question for you was this her father's uh, law practice no i don't think so because it was um the law offices of James Rabbit, um, who I think he passed away in 2004, and then uh, Jay Feldstein. Um, and they apparently had, like, they they knew she was getting phone calls and, like, threatening phone calls and stuff uh, the month before even. So they set up, like, a little, you know, the emergency buzzer thing um, that'll alert authorities or whatever. Um, I don't know if it alerted authorities or if it just alerted 
their offices that something was going on. But, um, and they also said that she would, you know, leave a little note by the door if, cause they always like came in later than her. Um, so if she left to go get a coffee or whatever, um, she would do that, but her keys and purse were missing yet. Her car was parked right out front and locked. So I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's know. wild. And you know, Jay Feldstein, he actually told the Toledo blade, uh, that they actually were in court with the reason why I asked about it, Mr. Anderson being lawyers because of this account. And it said that Mr. Feldstein spent the morning in court with Mr. Anderson and one of the sons. So that was the reason I that was weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, that part, I actually did not know that, um, that detail, um, for, or it skipped my mind there, but, um, yeah, there was something weird later on, like across the street or something that said something about, I love Cindy or something like that. Um, and I can't remember if that was before or after she went missing, but somebody claimed to have said it was about them and their, you know, she was Cindy or whatever and tried to like claim that it was a different Cindy, which it could be as a popular name, you know, but it is still weird that it was directly across the street. And I, yeah. It just makes me wonder sometimes it, the people that call in on stuff for anonymous tips. Sometimes I I feel like instead of it being a cruel hoax, maybe it needs to be tracked down like legit just to make sure. But yeah. Yeah. You know, it's and it's weird because, I mean, there's also the theory about she was having nightmares about being abducted. And yes, you know, yeah, I mean, it's just like, home. was she being clairvoyant and and envisioning her future, you know, her future death. And, and the fact that she actually told people about it is what makes that stand out. And I wouldn't bring it up if it was just some speculation, obviously you don't know if it's connected, but we can say that it did happen. Unlike Mm -hmm. saying, we don't know if the phone calls actually happened. We know that she at least told her parents or her mom about them. Yeah. Well, and I mean, she had to have at least told the attorneys too, because they set up like that little emergency button stuff. But, um, I don't know. It's just so bizarre. I, I guess there was one, uh, convicted drug dealer, uh, Jose Rodriguez jr. And his Mm -hmm. attorney, uh, Richard Neller. And they were apparently worked with them at that time or around that time. And they, they thought potentially that, she may have overheard something from them, but I think she, she may have heard or seen something from a number of clients, you know, um, <laughs> so little trust out there these days. Like I know, you know, we know now that you can just, there's wolves and sheep's clothing all the time. So maybe the smooth talker that, you know, maybe it was somebody that, I don't know. I just, you would never even imagine um, like a Dennis Rader type or something, you know, just Ned Flanders kind of style. I don't know. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. I've been working as a true crime podcaster for a number of years now. And while I find the work to be very rewarding, it can also get me down now and again. So when I need a bit of a pick me up, I turn to Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a puzzle game you can play right on your phone. It's truly an enjoyable game. 
When I play, I find it to be a mindful experience as I try to move throughout the different levels, all while facing challenging puzzles. But Best Fiends is a fun, casual game that really anyone can play. I definitely wouldn't consider myself a pro gamer, and that's why Best Fiends is so much fun. You don't have to be. Even I have been flying through these levels. One of the best parts about Best Fiends is that it updates monthly with new levels and events, so it's always fresh. Best Fiends is a game that won't take up much of your time, but it will help you stay in touch with your friends and family, all while still social distancing. Another great feature, you don't even need an internet connection to play. The game has an elegant design, which helps relax my mind, and all the cute characters just make me feel all that much better. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So, she goes missing on the 4th of August in 1981. And there's... A little bit of a conversation that her father relays to, I think, one of the reporters about she had been acting like a debutante of late. And I thought that that was something that stood out to me, like, what are you talking about? And that she was. Basically, he said she's way more into her looks than she's ever been before. And it's like, well, she's 20 and she has a boyfriend and you have this religious background that you raised her in and you know it's it, it you know I, I don't want to say anything like got, her father passed away in I think 2016 or 2006 or something but nonetheless you know it's sad that any parent dies without knowing what happened to their daughter and I just think the fact that the case was covered by unsolved mysteries also which as a 90s child or 80s and 80s and 90s child and this case still was never even never got they were never really i mean the suspects like there really never were anybody that were really concrete and anybody that you could say had a motive okay she had a boyfriend check all right she was going to college in 10 days why would she run away that's another like you know like there there are certain things about this case to me that stand out to make it seem like she definitely wouldn't have left on her own accord and foul play was probably involved but what's your thought about the fact that the office wasn't even disturbed and other than the book being open one thing that i wonder is either if somebody was able to be already there and was like, you know, just had a, a gun and she went outside with them. But that doesn't make sense because I think she would have 
I don't know. They would have had to have broken in somewhere else from the building, but um, I don't think there was any note of that. Um, maybe she had already gone inside and then was like, oh, shoot, I forgot something in the car and went downstairs and, you know, that's where. But the whole book thing, that <laughs> that's what gets to me every time. Like, she knew that something was going to happen. So how long was that left open? Was it that day? you know did somebody just not notice that was the part yeah yeah it makes you wonder for sure and it, you know again like i'm not one to ever think anything is beyond what it usually is you know occam's razor always got to follow what the most likely scenario is and that's probably that she, probably that she met with foul play with that being said the fact that she took her purses her purse and keys is a little weird it is weird yeah um, i don't know and I, I mean it's hard to say like we don't know her um behavior up into that point like some people i know that grew up very religious and then you know come 20 21 years old make a flip and and do things that you know basically they have a little rum springer you know like <laughs> little amish will you know go out and, and have their wild times and come back if they to their faith if they want to um which i really think every small town should do by the by but just go out experience life and then come back if you want <laughs> but yeah yeah i i totally agree with that and I went to school in Utah for a year and, you know, obviously the Mormon religion is huge out, out there. And, you know, not to say anything negative about anybody's religion, you know, teach his own. Uh, and, but there are very strict guidelines to that religion. And you can see how when you are around those types of restrictions, how it can be, you know, not no pun intended restrictive and, kind of hold back your growing period and mm -hmm. if she was you know they were technically what christian fundamentalists i guess is what would they they would be considered then and now yeah that considered was born again I, I, I think that yeah i think that's the way it would be considered and and that's fine you know to each his own but if she was but she was going to bible school that's the thing that's that makes me again not feel like she was gonna run away and or maybe she did have enough yeah. of it and that was the reason she ran away because she didn't want to go to bible school but like but she was going to bible college i mean like what were you going to bible college for if you were <clears throat> rebelling per se yeah i wonder when she signed up and when she lost weight, because I know that was the one of the things they said she was acting like a debutante, but she had lost a bunch of weight and she was like dressing up more. And, you know, um, so I don't know if I don't know. Um, I, I'm trying to like word it right, because I mean, I have been where you don't like the you like the attention but you don't at the same time like especially as a a survivor like um I was like you know <laughs> this definitely makes people not like you know you um 
to be honest, I've, it did work for a while, but then I, Israel Keys changed, changed that game for me when he said he didn't discriminate and like, he's like, it's not a game changer or whatever. I was like, what have I been doing this whole time then? <laughs> Anyways, sorry. That was its whole tangent, but <laughs> um, I just am wondering who started taking notice around there of her. Yeah. <clears throat> and you yeah. do wonder what, like what kind of clientele that her law firm that she was working for dealt with i mean sounds like really shady people yeah i mean one of the bot one of her bosses was arrested for trafficking so i mean i'm assuming that is drug trafficking that's the jose rodriguez connection i'm assuming yeah okay i was like wait a second (laughs) yeah i even looked up the epstein thing because i knew he had like a whole you know friend the victoria's secret guy that um had the whole leslie area there oh okay Yes. Um, I can't. Yeah. Um, Leslie, Wex- Leslie Wexler was from Columbus and he's the one that owns like the owned Victoria's Secret and he owns the yes. limited brand. Yada, yada, yada. And they didn't even they didn't even meet until like the 90s. So it would I don't think it would be anything like that. But um, I don't know. You never know. I just wonder I wish we knew like the clients, the clientele, and then the more of like the, what went on when no one else was around when it was just, you know, Cindy and the two lawyers, like what the dynamic was, but if they had an emergency buzzer there for her, hopefully it worked Um, for one, you know, maybe it made her feel a little more secure. Um, But I don't know if, you know, was that a placebo thing? Did it really work or was it just for show or, or for, yeah, yeah, you definitely have to think about that because, you know, if, if you are setting up yourself to quote unquote, go off the grid or disappear, you kind of can create and curate a story, you know, in advance, mm-hmm. in advance. And back in 1981, there really wasn't any technology that could, trace a lot of this stuff i mean let's say we're on the phone you know you see the stuff in the movies where you got to keep on the phone for a minute and 30 seconds before we can you know like whatever like whatever yeah and again we Mm -hmm. know with the amy mahalova case that they weren't keeping records of local phone calls and stuff like that especially in 81 and yeah who were the lawyers to say that she was lying and it's not crazy to say that she could have set this up as and and the book thing you know she could have set it up as her way of i don't know foreshadowing or forecasting yeah. future disappearance i mean what do you think chances of that are i mean i know that you say that you think she's she was abducted but i mean do you think there's any chance that that could have been the case i don't think it would should be ruled out just to play it safe, you know, because it's like you don't know what her dynamic was in her home. Like, obviously, grew up in a Christian family household. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that did that behind closed doors. It's a very different thing, you know, it's a very different world than what they project to society. And nothing against Christians. I grew up. Christian and whatever, you know, or, or religion in general, it's just, that is a very good hiding place for some, 
some very bad people because they're very good at lying and just, you know, but also I, I'm probably making myself sound terrible right now, but just like, you know, there's a lot of people that use that like to their advantage, like self-righteousness, like I'm going to go out and sin, but Hey, I have attendance and I put a lot into the, you know, church plate every Sunday. So I can get, do whatever I want. Cause I'm going to go repent. And so I don't know, clearly I have trust issues. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think it's, you know, in our line of work, I think it's kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. Uh, you, you do enough research about these cases, you find, you know, there's bad people everywhere. And there again, like you'd mentioned Israel keys earlier, but yeah. about not having any particular, you know, yeah, he first hyped. Yeah. yeah, it didn't matter. He didn't care. He just it was whatever, whatever. Yeah, and uh, you know, where's Bundy? You know, Bundy was kind of uh, he had a type. If you look at all the pictures, I mean, you kind of can see his type. I mean, by the end, he was just completely insane and just kind of <laughs> did what he did. But well, and that's how um, they get caught. They like get more and more impulsive. You know, like their addiction just it's not good enough. Next time, it's going to be this and. But I can see how like a tinier person like um, would be easier to to take and abduct, you know, um, and she was she was a, a tinier person. And I don't know. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. she had just started coming into her own with her, her style and everything. So I don't know. Maybe she had a crossroads and there's I wouldn't rule out the chance that there was a, a a cross turning point for her where she was like oh my god I don't know if I can do this no I can't do this and go but it just seems more plausible that she would have been abducted I don't know <laughs> I just yeah I hope that she is okay but yeah I mean to think that yeah I mean if, again it's hard to do some of these cases where there isn't a body and there's no definitive, you know, proof that foul play actually did occur to speculate that she is dead. It's kind of, kind of sucks. I mean, yeah. put it bluntly. but 41 years or 40 years later, 30 years later, whatever it is, God, 40 years later, geez. Um, I mean, if she really wanted to go away, she could, but it is really difficult to just create a new identity. And especially in that day and age, you would think. But I mean, with lawyers, I don't know. They might actually know people that could hook that up. I don't know. It's especially if you're like a defense attorney that's, you know, deals with a lot of really shady individuals i don't know but yeah i mean you can again like you know you talk about um you know when you do sit in a situation like she did at a lawyer's office and you deal with the clients on a face-to-face -face situation uh yeah. you're not doing emails because it's 1981 you're pretty much answering the phone and dealing with walk-ins so I would say that the chances of somebody catching, you know, her, her looks, you know, let's say that 
she just was what she, you know, somebody got a crush on her and began harassing her. And, and I think to me, that's the most likely scenario in this situation because of the fact that, you know, she was, she wasn't like a bad girl. She wasn't doing anything crazy. And I know that we talked about like, yeah, maybe she wanted to go live and live and, crazy wild life but it wasn't all of her actions combined you could see some sort of pattern maybe detailing or laying out a a plan to, to escape her growing up but you also have to wonder she had a sister why wouldn't she communicate with her sister once she felt safe yeah it would be really hard to just stop all communication with family like you would have to be a, a breaking point from something in your life there but doesn't sound like their family was anything like that they sound they sound heartbroken or they you know right up until her her dad's passing and whatnot he was searching for her um just really really sad mm-hmm. um I don't think I don't think she would have left on her own, to be honest. It's just one of those like, can you completely rule it out? Probably not because we don't have enough to go on, but I don't know. Um, I would say it's more likely that um, I, I think there was one uh, there. There've been a couple unidentified um, persons that I have turned in for her case and then for um for a couple other ones i can't remember off the top of my head what i just turned in but um like i said i'm on namus a lot there was a an unidentified jane doe that fit the mold in i think it was in toledo um but she had to have been you know, compared DNA because it just would make zero sense if she hadn't. Well, I think, I mean, fingerprints back then, but I mean, well, yeah, I mean, well, 80s, but yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the whole, the, the whole connection to the, the drug dealer, I think people want to say that that's just sounds, sounds very interesting and like they'll run with that and then other people will hear the theory about the the dreams and they'll run with that and then you have i mean it there's all these different theories when you have a missing person oh yeah and um and it's kind of difficult to to kind of speculate on what exactly it is that those people were thinking yeah and that's where this case just bums me out in the sense that her family was very much a close knit family from all account, from all accounts, regardless of what upbringing they had or what people thought from the, you know, from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of religious families. It's not like everybody they're like, it's not like every religious family has a, a kid who, revolt revolts or rebels but true there are a lot yeah. of them that do there are a lot of them that do and again it's totally normal i mean that's like a 20 year old being a 20 year old but the fact yeah. that she was going to bible college 
She did have a boyfriend. The things that stand out again for me are the the weird comments from from her dad about acting like a debutante and caring more about her looks lately. And, and it sounded yeah. the way I read the quote, it sounded like he was frustrated with her. I almost like okay, and I don't want to put words in his mouth or anything like that, but maybe he was frustrated with the way she was dressing more like a lady or, or, you know, more professional because he's scared that somebody's going to take notice of that, which is, was the mindset and is sometimes still the mindset like of a woman is asking for it. If you're dressing up a little, you know, sexy or whatever, whereas my therapist likes to say, you could literally have, you know, be just, streaking down the street and you know flailing whatever but you're not asking for it you know what I mean like it's I don't know it's I I don't I think that was just a you know frustrated like that's what must have happened somebody took notice to how she was dressing I don't know that's what I get from that but yeah I don't think I don't think her father was involved I just feel like no no. he frustrated with her actions at that present time again nothing that stands out as like shocking though like oh my she started caring about her looks not a red flag oh she's going to college in 10 days and she's looking to lose weight hmm weird totally weird you know because 20 year old girls definitely aren't interested in you know that kind of it's just like people can change their interest levels in their looks can change literally overnight. I mean, that is not, a, yeah. it's not uncommon, especially for kids that did grow up where they didn't have access to, uh, you know, makeup or see people in makeup and dress, you know, the way they want to dress opposed to having certain restrictions on what you can wear. And, oh yeah, you know, she was working in a law firm and, Regardless, regardless of the fact of whether it was shady law firm or not, uh, she was in a profession, professional environment. So yeah, she, she would probably have gone to the courthouses at points at certain points in time. You would change who you are, not who you are inside, but who you are from the outside, just by the people who you are around. Yeah, you you generally, it's a common trait, just typical to want to at least blend in a bit uh and you don't want to be the you don't want to stand out and she wasn't naive to think that you know dressing very strict fundamentally christian style with long dresses and not exposing a lot of skin and all that good stuff that comes along with some of the branches um I think that she might have just felt, I don't know, like this is my opportunity to break away. And then she broke away, but in the process, she caught somebody's eye who is not on the uh, radar of the police because of how many people could have come and gone, the lack of security cameras. Um, yeah. No. Yeah, that's one thing. It's like, um, 
like the lack of forced entry or like anything like that. When I hear somebody say, well, it wasn't a, you know, there was no forced entry. Well, sure. That doesn't look like there was a struggle, but doesn't mean there wasn't, you know what I mean? Like it, if somebody puts a gun to my face, I'm gonna, you know, unless, you know, I, I don't know. Circumstantially, my brothers told me the other day that some guy put a gun to his head and he swatted it away and ran. And I was like, what? And I was like, I don't, I don't think I could have thought to do that, but he, yeah, he did. So that was wild. Um, I don't that's, know what I would do. Uh, that's that's a interesting story. So where I know, I know, sorry. <laughs> that was random, but I was just thinking about like if somebody I I would where does your brother live? Like, that was um that was in his twenties, and he said he was in Portland, and these two guys around the same age were like, Hey man, how's it going? You want to smoke some weed with us? And he was like, Sure. And so he went and he did, and they're all sitting down on the curb. And one of the guys is standing up and he's, you know, smoking. And then he just put a gun to the guy's or to my brother's head. And maybe if he was sober, he would have been scared shitless, you know? So they actually, they did a disservice to themselves because he was like, Fuck that. And they like, you know, slapped the gun away and ran. And the other guy that was with him was like, why did you do that, man? He was cool. Like, and many people can say that they have done that. So anyways, yeah, just, just a random ADHD story for you. Um, <laughs> as I was, well, it's like what I had to do with a gun. It's weird. Kind of similar story. I'll just edit all this out, but similar story. I was <laughs> with like four other guys. We were walking back from, we were at OU, Ohio university. And we were, you know, it was like four in the morning and yeah. obviously we weren't over and so we're walking down north high street and we're headed back towards our dorm and there's some dudes sitting on a porch and they're like hey you want to smoke a joint and we're like yeah why not you know of course that's you know, what we do sure. uh so we smoke blah 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 and then we're walking and all of a sudden the two guys come up and grab me and start dragging me back to the house and i'm like what the hell are you guys doing and luckily my friends saw this and like came after and was like what are you guys doing and they're like oh you know whatever and uh like two weeks earlier my one of my buddies had just been found dead in the river oh my god and and so like you didn't know what was going on and yeah yada 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 so like they they ended up pulling me away and we ended up like taking off running and uh yeah i ended up doing like a i somersaulted off the curb because i was trying to, to get away so fast and there's like a big house party and everybody started cheering because I fell and oh, we ended up partying at that next that house the next night. That's hilarious. It's <laughs> just the way that just just the way the the OU the OU world works. But yeah, it, that was a scary um one of the scary moments of of my child, I guess childhood. I was 19, but uh that was pretty traumatic. Yeah, I've I've never had a gun to my head, but I've definitely been in some situations either by choice or not where I've had uh, two guys when I was a teenager, um, I was in the passenger seat of a friend's car and these two guys came up and tried to open the back doors and get in. We're like, where are we going? And uh, that was creepy. 
wrap it up. Okay. We'll wrap it up. So back back to the case at hand and some of the people that may have been involved. Do you have any idea or inkling? Like, do you have a suspect? Basically, um, I have. I mean, I the Jose Rodriguez thing, you know, is plausible. The the Cook brothers that were apparently murdering all throughout the eighties in Ohio, right? Um, that's a possibility. But I mean, I want to know who the janitor was at that building and more about the lawyers. You know, like I really. Um, I don't know. Not that I, I, I think that it was them, but like, I'm just very curious about the clientele and stuff because maybe somebody did spend a lot of time waiting in her waiting or in that waiting room area. And she was forced to like converse with somebody really creepy and they just wouldn't let up, you know? Um, I don't know. Well, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you on that one because Let's say the opposite happened. She wasn't creeped out that this person was able to gain her trust. Hence why there was no sign of foul play, um, as well as the fact that she locked the door behind her. So if it was an individual that somehow she had gained their trust or, you know, he gained her trust that's also a plausible i think yeah. theory and hey maybe we hey let's go grab, grab a quick cup of coffee and you know your work your co-workers aren't going to be here for a couple hours anyway yeah i'm really early you know, for this meeting um yeah and yeah i'm i'm I was supposed to be here earlier uh want to go grab a cup of coffee and we'll be back in five minutes and you can just lock up and that leave. does make sense and something as simple yeah, something as simple as that, where where all this other stuff clouds that type of scenario, where it takes the simplest explanation, which is she probably didn't forcefully, you know, she wasn't taken at force or taken yeah. by force. And with that scenario being the case, I feel like that plays into the hands of her Again, I don't give much thought to her running away on purpose, but it leads to the theory that she was she either chose to leave or she chose to leave with somebody. Yeah. And that person is the person that led her to her demise, unfortunately. And and to that as we would have heard from her. I I think you're right. No, I, was just saying. Um, I just that abduction book, when you said romance novel abduction, I was like oh, wait a second. I was thinking it was a true crime novel, but romance, I wonder, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, not that that has to do with the book, but I wonder if it gave her like um, any sort of, I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, I, no, I think it's interesting. No, I, I don't think you should discount that. I think anybody who knows anybody who reads that type of literature if you would like to call it that. I mean, again, it, it's, it's a genre. People like it. People like true crime. People don't yeah. like true crime. It's okay. It's not like, I'm not going to take it personally. It is what it is. And, but the fact that she was reading a romance novel, 
does kind of make you think she was thinking outside of the box that she grew up yeah i kind of i kind of want to read the book now just to like see if there was any like type of you know especially for a christian girl to be reading a romance novel maybe i don't know i just want to hear like the if there's any sort of like grooming type verbiage that makes something sound so spectacular like this wildlife that you know Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Right. Like an or I mean, yeah. even, you know, not to point the fingers at any of the lawyers, but, you know, girls, women, young women, power. I mean, there could be, you know, a crush there mm-hmm. that they she didn't explore until that day. And then obviously things didn't turn out the way they she had thought they would. And she ended up not ever resurfacing yeah. i mean there's so many different avenues you could go yeah. but i think foul play is the at the end of the day is what happened but it seems like she may have known the suspect if that was the case yeah yeah i would i don't know i i like your idea though of, of the fact that maybe somebody was very disarming and and she just went willingly thinking it was just going to be a cup of coffee or something that does seem like a plausible scenario. So, Especially when you think about all the other clients that are considered shady and creepy and, you know, it probably wouldn't take that much effort for one of them to, I don't know, stand out from the others as being somewhat of a nice guy because he's not being He's not there for any particularly terrible case. And the guys that seem nice that are, you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing, they use those guys to their advantage. Like, oh, you've been getting these weird phone calls. I wonder if it's that guy, you know, if I wonder if it's that client of your, your boss, I don't know. It's, there's too many really intelligent creeps out there. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, intelligence, you know, it covers all bounds. It makes evil people more evil. I mean, you think about some of the worst people in the world, you know, they were super mm-hmm. intelligent, but they used their intelli- intelligence for, you know, not good yeah. things. And well, like the destructions of societies and what up. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I could go on tangents about Israel Keys, but when I saw him, like you could, it almost looked like they were telling him something he believed in was not a thing like you know Sam Claus or something but you could see the look in his face when he realized he told on himself and they had no clue like he thought they were playing like a cat and mouse game and it just I don't know it makes me think oh my god there are people out there that are so meticulous and so good at this that we're only thinking Occam's razor and they're thinking Hickam's something like the opposite of Occam's razor. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's wild. He changed the game for me. Anyways, I just really hope that this case is solved and that she is found someday and brought to justice if need be, um, which I think she does. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the only way that we'll be able to find an answer is if they discover a body uh, bones somewhere yeah. or 
if she is still alive, she decides to, you know, make herself known. But I don't think that's likely. No, that and... Christian guilt. I, I was raised on it. Not that it's like it is. You instill it in yourself, like the conscience part. But like you know, sure. I don't. I just can't imagine keeping you know letting your family think that something horrible happened to you um i don't know that's really that's real that's really mean i mean that, that takes yeah that that's on that's adding insult yeah. to injury you know it's one thing to run away and say i don't want to be a part of your family but it's another thing to run away and not tell anybody about it and yeah just you know because really how often does and if somebody does that then that's where it's like you need to be questioning what was going on like my mom ran away at 16 and her parents when they found out she went to her real dad's house they were like what did you do what did you tell them like not oh my god i'm so glad you're okay you know so there are their situations like runaways that they run away for a reason don't just think "Mm, they ran away whatever it's their choice i don't know yeah it's a whole other tangent (laughs) yeah and and you know just as we wrap this up you know don't forget about the fact that she also didn't touch her baby yes exactly yeah poor girl um yeah that's poor family i mean her father you know searching for all those years and her sister not knowing it's just it's tragic i i appreciate you uh joining me though and kind of walking me through some of the different scenarios and kind of bouncing (laughs) some theories off of one another yada yada i appreciate it too i'm sorry i got distracted but my dog is like sawing logs snoring so just um (laughs) you're in the background it's just yeah he's Oh geez, he's he on town. Oh, I woke him up. He's pissed. Anyways, no. Um, no. well, thank you very much for having me on. Um, I really appreciate it. Yes. So it was really great talking to you. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, uh, <laughs> able to put a face, yes. your name and voice uh, and a voice. <laughs> so definitely, definitely great and i appreciate yeah likewise. Um, and yeah, we'll have to do an interview on my show sometime soon absolutely absolutely yeah thanks again all right i'll talk to you later thanks so much to naptime nancy drew for joining me this week to discuss the mysterious disappearance of one miss cynthia anderson out of toledo ohio on august 4th 1981 naptime nancy's podcast can be found by searching naptime nancy drew wherever you get your favorite shows you can also follow her on Twitter at NaptimeNancyDrew, and that is Drew without the E. As a reminder, I do drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and I will be dropping a new season of My Passion Case at some point this spring, so look for new episodes on Tuesdays once the show launches. And thank you guys, the listeners, so much for tuning in this week. Anyone with information about Cynthia Anderson's disappearance is encouraged to contact the police in Toledo at 419-245-3340. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, as well as my other shows, you can help support 
podcast by clicking on the link in the show notes, or you can contribute to the show via the Venmo app with my username at Bill-Huffman-3. And seriously, every contribution, big or small, helps keep these slow burn podcasts running. And you can also help support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And again, thank you to Best Fiends for being this week's sponsor. Their app can be found wherever you get your apps, most often in the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Thank you so much again for listening, and until next time, as always, be healthy and stay safe. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. 